Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we discuss research in the equine industry to make it accessible to all. Please remember with each topic that we discuss to um, make sure you're getting professional advice before implementing any changes with your horse. Today, we are looking at a chapter from a book. So the book is called Equine Sports Medicine and Surgery. And that's by Kenneth Hinchcliffe and Andres Kenneths. And the chapter we are specifically looking at is the biomechanics of locomotion in the athletic horse. And that was written by Eric Barry, who is a senior research scientist and an equine clinician in the University of Paris-Saclay. So this chapter, I think Nancy had chosen, and it's just really beneficial in understanding a multitude of things that come into effect in preserving essentially our athletic horses, making sure they're not causing wear and tear or strain. And the one of the first um, statistics that they had in it, which I just thought was crazy, and we've discussed wastage before in horses in relation to um, behavior problems, but this statistic was saying that in stables specialized in gallop racing, Lameness was responsible for 53 to 68% of the horses being wasted. And that just absolutely blew my mind. Like, even just economically, that's such a high number. And it really reinforces why we need to make sure that we are training our horses properly and preparing them. But really that we are looking at that confirmation, that gait analysis. And are we using our horses, you know, fit for purpose? And I suppose you'd have a lot more experience in regards to lameness and on the racing track, Nancy. Yeah, but we would always um, be at the yearling sales, weanling sales. And one of the first things we always did when we got back from the sale, we had the horses. um, And if we bought quite a few, um, the horse van would bring them in. And we would turn them out and watch their action. Now, you watch them walk at the sails. You get behind them. You go to the sides. You're in front of them. And you watch their footfalls. But you really don't see any real action until you turn them out in a field and watch them run. And a lot of those thoroughbred babies, I mean, we get them home and you really had hopes for the ones that barely left the ground. There was very little wasted motion. And then sometimes you'd get one that you were really high on, um, thinking the pedigree was perfect, the confirmation is perfect, and that horse would take off running and look like (laughs) an egg beater. So we, you know, and you just know you don't quit on them. You just bring them in and you just make sure you watch the knees, the ankles. Maybe uh, it's so important to balance the, the hoof to have the proper ratios in the hoof. And then also the shoulder, the shoulder and the pastern 
on the horses, especially um, weanlings and yearlings. That doesn't change much from baby to adult. So it should be anywhere from 40 to 55 degrees. And, you know, um, it doesn't mean one that's more straighter isn't going to be successful, but you have to train the horse and be watching for those subtle things that tell you there may be injuries starting to happen. Our repetitive stress is creating warmth inflammation. So you really got to keep uh, an eye on the structures that you think their confirmation is putting too much pressure. And what I found so interesting from reading through this is kind of a self-realization because when you're talking about the confirmation, you know, that comes up again and again in this chapter. And I thought to myself, you know, coming from a ridden background, I have not spent enough time looking at horses to be confident to say that I could pick up on confirmational faults unless they were pronounced. And I think when you're in like rising school mode or pony club mode, or, you know, you're just always getting up and you may have, like, I've had my horse for years and years you just learn to know your horse. That seems to be like your main goal is knowing your horse, but never really taking a step back and watching every other horse. So I've kind of come out of this and decided that this year I'm going to use YouTube because I'm limited (laughs) with travel at the moment as everyone is, (laughs) but I'm really going to take some time to just watch different videos just of horses moving freely and seeing you know different breeds and like dressage horses and your thoroughbreds and how they really move their bodies just to get more comfortable with spotting that confirmation because I think it it must be so easy to go to the sales and just get sucked in you know to seeing a well-turned out horse and thinking you know, they look great, but you're being deceived because they've actually just been turned out well, they're in good condition, and they're not actually a great mover. Yeah, I think what we do initially um, is we study the pedigrees, and you always are attracted to a certain bloodline. So you earmark that page, and then you go and inspect the horse. And, you know, you get there where you can inspect a lot of horses in one day, and then the next day, those horses you inspected go to the sales ring. So, um, you know, you, you really do a lot of work and it sucks you in because you become almost obsessed over finding a, a great horse for yeah. a great price. And, uh, you know, and you want the markets to be up. Um, because that means the industry's doing well, but you have to be so careful because watching them walk up and down a line doesn't always tell you, number one, about their wanting to work or their work ethic. And number two, it also doesn't give you a clue as to um, mm-hmm. their heart. And, you know, you turn them out together and you've got that one that insists on being the leader. You know, well, that's the one you're going to take into your barn with high hopes and you're going to, you know, really try and take the best care of them. That's usually the one that will get hung up 
in a bucket in a 40 acre field, you know? So, I mean, it's just an up and down business and there's no predictors. And um, I will say the one thing that does change is in confirmation is whether a horse is uphill or downhill where the withers are a little higher than Mm -hmm. um, the rear end. And so, you know, when you buy a young horse, they're almost always going to be at a little higher behind than they are in front. And then they start to grow. And then that kind of evens out. And, you know, I always like my horses to be a little bit more uphill than downhill. And I don't necessarily want Mm -hmm. the U-necked horse, you know, but um, towed in, you can work with that, but you, you really want a nice, um, you know, straight legged, horse with good confirmation, but you're, you're going to pay a price for that horse. And there's no guarantees that it's going to want to be a race horse. It's really the personality then that again is so hard, you know, to pick out when you're in that sales environment. But what you were saying is, you know, the, and the point you made just about how there's no kind of one predictor is so true because they were saying there's no heritability um, in relation to dressage performance, you know, there's not anything that says because you've got a great dressage mare, you know, her offspring is going to be great because they said training just has such a massive influence on the outcome. But they did say like there is a moderate to high heritability when it comes to the trot and gallop variables. So like a horse's stride length and frequency And I just thought that was interesting because then does that open the door to, you know, doing your research into the pedigree and finding out what they were successful in? And that maybe will give you an inkling to whether or not the um, foal or the yearling that you're looking at will come on to that point as well. Yeah, um, I think probably... The, for the pedigree, you always kind of know, oh, this one may like the turf. This one may want to be a route horse and go a mile. Um, this one's a sprinter. You know, the father and mother were both sprinters. But you know what? Still, like genetics goes, it's a crapshoot because um, it's what genes are expressed mm-hmm. in that individual. So I had one, I thought she was a dirt sprinter. She could do five furlongs and come out of the gate, lead the whole way. She ended up she being better on the turf. And so, you know, the horse eventually will tell you if you listen to them and you just keep trying them on, you know, if it doesn't work out, they keep Uh, you know, running second, third, maybe not showing much try on the dirt. Your next move is is to go to the grass and see if if you don't get a better result. And what are the different terrains then that you would normally race them on? So were you saying you try them on turf and grass? Yeah, um, turf is the same as grass over here. And then there's dirt. And then there's also synthetic. So you look in the pedigree and you kind of find where that stallion or mare 
had um, successful runners and what surface it was on. And then you kind of, as a trainer, you have that in the back of your mind. That's where you're going to try the horse. And then the horse eventually ends up dictating where they're going to run, you know, and they may be able to do both turf and dirt. Um, I have one horse that's really good on the turf and he likes a route. He's a miler, but um, he does well on the dirt too, does not like the synthetic. So his turn of foot is a little different on synthetic. He kind of looks like he can't get a hold of it. So for that individual, we won't run at a track that offers a poly. That's track so interesting. And it's just reminded me on a much lower scale of the fact that my mare, like she would be so odd with where she would walk. Like if you were riding her and the tarmac changed color, you know, like a zebra crossing she would be so hesitant to walk over that. Mm -hmm. Like just the change in ground would really throw her. But I wanted to ask you as well, Nancy, because in this, it was saying that the most important comfort factor is in racing is the racetrack itself. So like the total length of the track, because that's going to determine the curve length. Mm -hmm. And then the horses are going to have a natural inclination to try and avoid that um, disequilibrium so they don't want to be leaning too harsh on one side because then they're going to cause that um, lameness from the lateral and medial sides of the legs but I thought how what are the differences in racetracks like do you have different size ones based on different levels of competition yeah the one of the main differences that I see is the you have the sweeping turn and then you have a long stretch or you have a sweeping turn and a short stretch. And so the one filly I had, uh, she did not like a long stretch. She wanted to turn for home yeah. and get there. And if it was a longer stretch, even though she's going the same distance, if it was a longer stretch, she would she wouldn't last she would quit running and she always came second third second third and this was at the fairgrounds that are is in new orleans it's known for its long stretch so we had to move her over to evangeline a shorter stretch where she could come on and win and she did and then we ended up taking her to churchill downs and by that, we put her on the turf and she won a five furlong race there. But she just did not like the stretch run at the fairgrounds. So a good trainer, you'll hone in on that and you'll start to kind of play with it. What does this horse need? Sometimes it's not physical. Sometimes it's more mental. So maybe you need to drop them in class and let them run with a little less talent so they know uh, what's, you know, the feeling of winning. However, at that point, you're sometimes putting mm -hmm. them into a claiming race. So it's better mm -hmm. sometimes to go to a non-claiming or maiden special weight at a lower purse at a different track. And that and just that's builds their confidence then. Yeah, yeah, the, the stretch was shorter. For some reason, she just did not want to keep running 
in a long stretch. So, and each horse is so different. That's why reading this uh, about the biomechanics, a lot of times it's the turn of foot. So your farrier makes a big difference um, because you're, trimming and shoeing affects the biomechanics of the horse. And they were talking about stride length and stride frequency. Well, those two together equal your speed. So when you lessen that stride length, you're lessening the speed. When you lessen the stride frequency, you're also, um, velocity is going to be lessened. So it's always a stride frequency plus stride length equals velocity. So it was interesting in this chapter, um, they said that their research found that when a jockey pulled the stick out to encourage the horse to go faster, uh, it didn't make the horse go faster. It just increased the stride frequency, but it depleted the stride length. So you did not increase speed, you know, and I thought I never saw that before. So it reduced stride length, but increased the frequency and results in no change in velocity. So that kind of makes your um, the use of a riding stick or a crop or whip, some people call them. It kind of makes it more as an, a leg aid would be in dressage you want to encourage the horse to keep going don't give up but it's not necessarily going to increase their speed it's going to keep them in the game so you don't need to overuse that whip and i think that kind of goes along with the new regulations that you're not allowed to overuse i think that's a it. great finding for it you know that all it's doing is encouraging that horse to lift its feet faster which in some horses, yep. if you can do that within the stride, you do increase the speed because the stride basically for, you know, I know most people will know what a stride is, but when you actually break it down, you've got your stance, you've got your swing, and then you've got your suspension. And you want to try and get a horse to reduce the stance phase. So how long they're just standing, essentially, how long the hoof is flat on the ground. And they found within this that after eight weeks of high intensity training regime using a treadmill, that they could get the thoroughbreds to gallop and reduce that stance by eight to 20%. So they really could, with the training, yep. build that up and get them to move faster, essentially. But it is just such an interesting thing because, do and you know, you'll still have some horses that will shorten their stride to increase that. I, I really think that's where this water treadmill rehabilitation will work well for the thoroughbred industry because not only can you slowly get a horse back up to its working condition, and that's just being able to go back out on the track and do their, their work, do their gallop and build their stamina, but it will also help to, um, you know, diminish that stance phase. So I thought that was so interesting because these water treadmills can also be used dry as well. So, um, but anyway, um, one other thing I wanted to say is um, there is a website called scienceofmotion.com 
and they have little tidbits, especially on YouTube, of what lameness does this horse have? So you can watch the videos and you can try to see where you think the lameness is. And then also there's lameness labs uh, by um, a university in Canada. And uh, you can get those on YouTube and you can try and figure out and become, have a good eye for when that horse is slightly off and where it's um, the lameness is, what limb or what area. That's amazing. I remember doing that back when I was studying veterinary nursing. We used to get shown videos first. And I think it's so mm-hmm. easy to judge that in a forelimb. But when it comes to the hind limbs, it's an especially more subtle lameness. It is something that just needs practice. It's really hard. And I always, um, I'll wrap my horse's legs in white polos and then I'll videotape them with my phone. Um, I'll even download the app, The Coach's Eye, and you can have a good video of what your horse looks like sound and then if something comes up videotape the lameness and put it side by side and you can do that so easy on our computers on our phones and coach's eye is a free app you and I do it a lot to be able to achieve heel first landings when I trim a horse. And sometimes if they're in a sandy arena or a dry paddock that it's really hard to pinpoint if they're landing heel first, I'll take a quick video and then I can slow it down and you'll be able to break it down into little tiny segments. So it's really a good app to have. And I highly recommend uh, if you don't have polo wraps, put a piece of white medical tape on the knee and on the fetlock and you'll be able to follow the limb. I think that's an absolutely brilliant tip for people to take away from this that you really wouldn't think of, Mm -hmm. you know, video your horse when it's healthy and then you'll be able to compare. That is so useful. I do it because when a lameness comes up, you sometimes it catches you by surprise. You're not, you know, it's most probably in most instances just an abscess or something. But when you have that good video to compare it to, it's surprising how easy you can pinpoint where that horse is off because with computers, you can put that side by side and it's a wonderful uh, tool to use. And then for me being a trimmer, it's absolutely perfect to be able to assess um, what I need to do on a horse or, you know, what's going wrong with that trim or, you know, whatever. And most of the time it's a lack of heel first. That's amazing. And I think, We have mentioned this before between us, but it would be great to just do an episode in the future where we really look into that because you have so much experience when it comes to the hoof. Um, It would be great to kind of get into the nitty gritty of what is, you know, a good shape and what is so important to really getting that natural, you know, support for the horse. That sounds great. I love talking about you know, hoof structure, nutrition, because it's not just about 
treating the hoof or trimming the hoof. You got to have proper diet. Mm -hmm. It's the whole horse. And you have mm -hmm. a the developing a good, strong hoof involves all areas of good horse management. So it's, it's a great topic. But I think for next week, we may have um, Alan uh, Gatowski from um, the water treadmill place. So if anybody has any questions, they would like us to direct to him, um, send it to us, um, Kate or I, and we'll be able to make sure we ask him um, a question. I've seen you. as well, they actually so, um, have those in Ireland as well. Those water treadmills for anyone that's interested. There is a stud in um, County Meath. So Keen O'Connor is um, the owner of the stud who is quite well known. And he has recently gotten one of these equine spas, I think is what they're called. Um, but it's a water treadmill. And I don't know if you're able to book in and use that or if he's just keeping that for his own livery yard. But it's definitely worth looking into. There are ones available in the UK, in Ireland and in the USA from what we know of that company. Yeah, it's ECB, and he's actually from New Jersey, so uh, hopefully he'll be able to join us next week, so get your questions in, and uh, we'll do an interview there, and then maybe um, the next week we'll do a Hoof Brilliant. podcast. So well, I look forward to talking to you next week, Okay, Nancy. well, thank you. Okay, thank you Take so care. much, Kate. Bye-bye.